Heavenly Father, we think of everything that we prayed for. We were told to bring our prayers to you, Lord. We were told to take our burdens and give them to you. And as believers, it also says that we are to carry other people's burdens. And um, we also take those burdens that we carry for others to you. Lord, and we, we prayed for people today, and there are people that we love. Think of our neighbors. Think of people that we've talked to on evangelism. Think of people that, you know, have been talked to a hundred times in the tent community. <laughs> and just the love that is poured out, and all of that love, and yet there could be a sense of frustration in our life. And it's okay. But Lord, how much more do you love? Lord, and we know, and that's what we pray for. I always pray for that. I just pray that the Spirit of God will just go before. The Spirit of God will speak to them in their bed as they're sleeping at night. And if it it must be that they will be provoked, that they will be sleepless because of the Spirit talking to them. We just love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I'm excited about uh, the season of our church. Um, I'm excited about the church picnic. Uh, it's going to be good food. I heard Adam's going to be grilling steaks for everybody, right? <laughs> Filet mignon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't care. You can do that too. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. So I want to encourage everybody to, uh, to come out. Um, you know, obviously there's not a lot of people here today, so... If you think of people, call them, encourage them to come. It's going to be a really a, f- a fun time, relaxed, you know, with the body. And, I, you know, my hope is to take, like, a church photo. So it would be kind of fun and edifying to put in a refrigerator or something. Uh, also, Operation Christmas Charlie. Have you guys ever heard of that? Okay. I was, I'm a little, Okay. So what uh, Franklin Graham does, Good Samaritan's Purse, is that they take shoeboxes and they fill them with toys and they send them to Africa, you know, Cambodia. I mean, they send them to different places all over the world for kids to get Christmas presents for Christmas. Uh, so usually what happens is church and other organizations, they take the, the shoeboxes and they fill them. So uh, we have, I think, 50 boxes in the back office there. And we got leftover stuff from VBS. So we were pumped for VBS. Thought there's going to be a ton of kids. There was a few. So we have some leftover stuff. We're going to pack that. I think Morgan's working on getting um, like some donations, coloring books, crayons, stuff like that. And on November 12th, we're going to kind of pack the boxes just as a, you know, a family event. We'll, we can order pizza or something. I don't even know where, where we're going to do it. Maybe we'll do it here. Maybe we'll invite ourselves over to Semi's house. Uh, November 12th, I believe. Yeah. November 12th. It's a Saturday. So class will be happening here. Um, but, you know, we could do it before class, Bible school class. By the way, Andrew taught Bible school class last night. It was amazing. It was really amazing. So maybe you didn't sign up, but if you wanted to come just to hear Andrew, the famous preacher. <laughs> no pressure now. Uh, so, but anyway, November 12th, it'll be, a, it'll be a fun time. I mean, I was just, we were thinking of it because of all the leftover stuff from VBS. 
And, and they want us to put like Christmas stuff, like Christian stuff in there. It's not like, here, let's give free stuff to people just because we're good people. No. We want to minister the gospel. That's the whole point. Okay? So um, just keep your ears to the ground about that because that's, that's happening. Also, we'll be in Reston November um, 4th, I believe. I'm hoping. So we'll talk to Tarlin. Um, but Tarlene and his wife lives there. Grace and John Hernandez. Vaughn lives there. Uh, I think last time we were there, we had 10 people. So it was great. Um, we're kind of hoping to do something similar in Mount Airy. We would like to do something similar um, in uh, Hagerstown, too, with, with uh, Peter and Thais. So. All right. Yeah. How are we? How are we today? Good? How are the Ravens doing, Jill? <laughs> Not that I care, actually, but... <laughs> they lost? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were... <laughs> We were with uh, we were with Daniel in, in Ash yesterday, and they live here in Frederick. They go to another church, but he's a Giants fan, so I'm sure he's happy right now. I'm not. I live in Baltimore, so I have to cheer for the Ravens. Soon. So let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter seven. Um, Yesterday, I was really thinking, uh, Andrew mentioned this, this verse, it's actually in Romans 6, and I, I opened my Bible there, and I started studying Romans 6, and then in the studying, God led me to Romans 7, and um, this is a really interesting passage, actually, all of Romans 7, is, and six, actually, Romans is an amazing book, if you want to dive deep into Theology and biblical philosophy. I mean, you could just read Romans over and over again. And when you think you understand it, <laughs> you're going to have more questions. But Romans 7 is very interesting because it's making a contrast between the Mosaic law. And, you know, in Romans 7 verse 11, I believe it says, like, is the law therefore sinful? And, and Paul says, you know, <laughs> absolutely not. We're not saying the law is bad. But he's making this contrast between what the law is and really what the new law is, right? There is almost like a new law that God has written, the law of liberty. Um, it's very interesting. So let's just turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 7, verse 6. And I hope this comes out in, in a correct way. Um, if it doesn't, you know, sorry. But to me, it was very edifying to read it. Romans 7, verse 6. It says, but now we have been delivered from the law. Stop right there for a minute. Isn't that an interesting way to describe the Mosaic law? Okay. Now, I want to ask this question. What was the Mosaic law? Everybody thinks about the Mosaic law as being Ten Commandments. They think of it as being 600 on night. I think there's 630 actually laws, right? Uh, Maybe they were expounded on even more just to be cautious to make sure we don't break one of those 630 laws. I mean, the Jewish tradition became very, and I say this in not a negative way, but it became very legalistic in a way so that way we can govern our physical life, our spiritual life, and our community. It became so very specific in such a way that it was designed to help us have a healthy environment. And when you look at even the Ten Commandments, 
you see those there. You see that there is uh, laws for community. There are laws for your own self. And there are laws for worship. So this is what the Jewish law was very concerned about. They were concerned about you as an individual and how you live your life. And as we live our lives, right, do you think God is concerned on how we live our life? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it in in class. Grace is not a license to sin. Okay. Like, don't go, don't take this too far. You know, Paul says, yes, there is grace, but not grace in a way where I can go and do whatever I want. You know, and we think about it that way. God is concerned that I live a righteous and a holy life. I mean, the Bible says, we talked about it, you know, four or five weeks ago, be holy as God is holy. Right. So there is a desire for us to live in a holy manner. There's also a desire for us in our community, not only the body of Christ, but in our community to live in a way where we are caring for others. Now, I love what you guys do in your neighborhood. A couple years ago, started really ministering in your neighborhood you know, a little block party in the neighborhood, showing videos, having a neighborhood Bible study, right? I mean, doing different things in the neighborhood. Where is this coming from? Well, it's coming from the idea in the Mosaic Law where we were told to take care of our neighbor. Don't think about what Jesus said, but think about what the Mosaic Law says. Like, take care of your neighbor. Like, if your neighbor is in need, that you are designed in such a way where you take care of them. What happens? It becomes a healthy community. And then the Mosaic Law says, well, I'm also concerned about how you worship me. Okay. I mean, and I would say that there are more laws concerning worship in the Mosaic, you know, Mosaic Law than in anything else. It has a lot to do with Levitical worship or Levitical priest's rites and how to make sacrifices I mean, here's an interesting thing is worship is considered a part of the daily sacrifices that the Jews had to make. That was considered part of worship. Like we sit here and we think about worship as music. That's what a lot of people think. Um, We go a step further. We say, you know, the highest form of worship is to study the word of God. Right. But in the Old Testament, worship was making a sacrifice unto God. You know the first time worship is mentioned in the Bible? A little Bible trivia. If you get it right, I have an Oreo cookie for you. Back. You're, you can't have any Oreo cookies, Adam. <laughs> yeah, when is worship first mentioned? Yeah. Abraham and Isaac, are they in worship? Yeah. Yeah. Where Abraham is going to bring his son up there, I'll give you two cookies. Because I know your son, one of your sons is going to steal the first cookie. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's the first mention of worship. Is when Isaac is, get, is being brought up to the mountain to be sacrificed. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? I mean, so God is very concerned about our worship, you know, and who we are worshiping. Who are you worshiping today? And all these laws are put in place to govern our lives so that way we could be holy. But what do we learn from the Mosaic Law? (laughs) 
Adam was shaking his head. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we didn't learn how holy we were. We learned how far away from God we are. You know, I love this quote. I, I forget who made it, but the idea was is that the closer we get to God, the brighter the light and the darker I see myself. That light becomes so bright that it exposes all that darkness in my life. If I am far away from the light, you know, and I'm a little lighter, you know, and, and then over there is a lighthouse, my lighter seems so bright because it's illuminating this little spot here. If I get closer and closer to a bigger light, my light becomes less powerful, less powerful. And I see in my life that there is so much that is wanting. I don't say this in a condemning way. Like, you know, anybody who knows me, and you guys have been here long enough, we're not that kind of a church, you know, where we drag our knuckles on the ground and say, woe is me. You know, we need to try harder and we need to be better. That's not that kind of message. It is just a truth that in our lives, no matter if you're the pastor who studies the Bible and tries to avoid certain sins, or if you are, you know, and then fill in the blank, somebody who comes to church once a year and is experimenting with every sin under the sun. It doesn't matter. Either way, you find yourself that you are wanting. And that is why Paul says here in chapter 7, verse 6, that he says that we have been delivered from the law. I mean, that is a very, very powerful statement. And six months ago, I could never even say this. But do you know what? It is a very powerful word to say that we are delivered from the law. Because what did the law produce in my life? That is an amazing question. I know what it was designed to produce. But when I open the Bible, what do I find? What does it produce in my life? I mean, that's why I love the book of Romans. Because Paul says very specifically what's the law produced in his life. As a Judaizer, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, as somebody who sat under the best teacher, as somebody who had a revelation from God himself, as somebody who ascended, it says, I mean, he says in Corinthians, he ascended to the third heaven and he himself can be called an apostle because he sat in the third heaven and he was taught by God himself. And what does he say? What, what did the law produce in his life? Well, let's turn to verse 5. Go back one verse. He says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused, sinful passions were aroused by what? By the law. <laughs> by the law. You know, I am, I am a stubborn New Englander. And if you tell me I can't do something, do you know what that does inside of me? It makes me want to try and do it even harder. You know, we were in China and we found out Kayla was pregnant, you know, and you know, everybody says, well, you're going to gain sympathy weights. Meaning like every time she wants to eat ice cream, you're going to start eating ice cream too. And you know, when I was like 30 something years old, you know, and I'm like, you know what? Everybody's telling me I'm going to gain weight. Everybody says that, you know, in your 20s, you're the healthiest and you're, you're the best you could ever be. Everybody was telling me what I could not do. And you know what it made me do? <laughs> That's when I started running. <laughs> 
I started exercising. But it's just that inside of my natural being, when somebody says, don'ts, I automatically want to ask the question, why not? And let's see what happens if I do. The sign that says, don't touch the grass. You know what? Every single time, even today, I feel like a little child. I go up and I just put my foot on the grass. Just for no reason except to touch it. I mean, it provokes something inside of, maybe some of you guys are, you know, your flesh is more passive than mine. (laughs) But mine is very much like that. And Paul is alluding to that, that the law aroused a sinful pleasure inside of him. That if it wasn't for the law, maybe he never would have experienced it. And that right there is like an interesting philosophical message. And we could maybe dive into that idea on why does that happen inside of us. But it's true. That's what it does, doesn't it? We find the boundaries of what should be and we, and we decide that we want to push them. And that's what the Mosaic Law was. It was saying like, hey, this is like a boundary. You should not go there. And it's true today. I mean, the Mosaic Law says a lot of good things. Don't commit adultery. I mean, because we live in grace, should we therefore abandon the law of don't commit adultery? Oh, we live in grace now. And, you know, the Mosaic Law, you know, it only produced sinful pleasures inside of my life. So if we get rid of the boundaries, therefore I can do whatever I want. No. Because that is not the character of God. You know, in, in class later on today, we're going to be talking about how God reveals his will. And that is what we are asked to be, be obedient to. And it's, you know what? There are things in life that prove themselves contrary to the will of God. And that's what sin is. Sin is something that proves itself contrary to the will of God. So when I open the Bible and I see what is the will of God and should I live according to that? Yes, I should. And again, that's what the Mosaic Law is doing. But somehow the law produced something inside of me that wanted to prove itself against the will of God. So verse 5, it says that it aroused sinful passions. (laughs) I wonder what Paul was thinking when he wrote when he wrote that, you know, like when he like because here he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Right. He knew the law. He executed the law. He he established the law in community. He established it in in worship. He was a man of the law. But what were these sinful pleasures that were aroused? You just use your imagination and maybe that was something that Paul struggled with. And then it says also in verse 5, it says, And the fruits of that sinful passion was death. The fruit of that was death. It's amazing that the death, I mean, death in what? It's like, yes, we're all going to die. We understand that. See, he's being blinded by the sun, you know. As, as amazing as Gary is and as bright as his life is shining, he can't handle it. <laughs> 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 you 
You know, but, but think about it this way. Like, like, here, like here is like, you know, death. Like, yes, we know that we die physically, but this is talking about in a spiritual sense also. Not only physically have we died because of sin, but also spiritually speaking, we die because of sin. And what happens in sin, what sin does, why sin is so terrible. And you know what? I'm going to say this too. I mean, I remember a discussion we had not long ago, bowling, right? And Nick was there. And I think Nick was trying to be a little provoking. He did a great job. But he asked the question, you know, we see in life not every sin is equal. All sin, right, was paid for on the cross, but not all sin affects us the same way. And you know what? There are some sins that you know what they do? They scar us so deep. And you know what happens is that God becomes dead to us because of that sin. If I steal a candy bar, does that hinder my walk with God? It might, yes. But nothing like committing adultery would hinder my walk with God. Interesting, isn't it? Both are considered sin. Both are paid for at the cross. And the power of sin is done away with, we read also in the book of Hebrews. Yet both can affect me in my walk with God. And what I see is that I have died, spiritually speaking. So therefore, and that word dead means that I am no longer aware of. See, if I live in sin, what happens in my life is that I am no longer even aware of the grace of God. And some people out there, I mean, do you know what? I mean, you know, hey guys, you know, those of us that go on evangelism, those that want to come, let's keep knocking on the doors of people's hearts because they're not even aware that they need grace because they're so deep in the flesh. They're so deep in sin. And it's going to take more than one knock on their door. It's going to take more than one track that you hand out on the street. It's going to take hundreds, maybe hundreds of tracks. We met a man yesterday and I've seen him literally 10 times at Baker Park. I've given him track after track. And you know what? We sat for 30 minutes talking to him yesterday. You know what? Time after time after time. We had this story in our church, a guy named Frank Baird up up in Maine. And the pastor would go to his door over and over and over again. You know, this is Maine. There's not a lot of doors to knock on, okay? And you can't walk from door to door. You have to drive from door to door. He would knock on the door and say, hey, I just want to pray for you and encourage you in the Lord. Over and over. I mean, I think the number was like 30 something times. And finally, he opens the door in tears and he says, Pastor, I need you to come in my house right now and I need you to pray for us. And he opened his heart because there was so much pain in his life. And you know what? He got saved and he became Pastor's first security guard, you know, up in New England. You know, I mean, there is a story of a man who is so dead in his sin. Where he was not aware of God. But do you know what happened? A man of God kept throwing seed. And throwing seed. And throwing seed. Was he discouraged? I mean, he goes, what am I even doing? Knocking the store again. I'm going to get shot. You might say in Baltimore. He's, they're going to call the police. They're going to slam the door. Rejection after rejection after rejection. Why is there rejection? Because Not because they hate God necessarily. But because they're so unaware of God's goodness. But we are on the other side. It's actually the opposites, right? 
We read the very opposite. Romans 7, 6, it says that we have been delivered. We have been delivered from the law. Because what did the law do? I love this word. It says it held us. Meaning that the law had the ability to hold me back spiritually from being who, I was re- who I'm really designed to be. Meaning the law was never designed to be redemptive. That was the job of Jesus Christ on the cross. The law was never designed to be redemptive. It was designed to help direct people towards Christ. It was designed to help control the flesh. It was designed to do all these things. But do you know what? It never had the ability to redeem me and bring me into a place where I am in fellowship with God again. And we read that over and over again in the book of Hebrews, right? But it's holding us back. You know what? I love this. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. Do you know what? Satan is also being told, like he is also one who restrains us, right? From seeing who God is. I mean, that is the job of the devil also. I'm I'm not trying to make a comparison between the law and the devil. But I'm saying that these are two things that could hold us back from who God has made us to be, spiritually speaking. Meaning your spirit is so rich. Your spirit is so full. And it's all right here at your fingertips. With the word of God, it's all right here, uh, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's already inside of you. What is holding you back? It could be the devil causing you to live in temptations, you know, or it could be trials, or it could also be that you have a legalistic mindset and that holds you back from experiencing the fullness of God. But praise be to God. Verse 6, it says that we have been delivered from it. We have been delivered from that. That word delivered means that uh, it has been rendered useless. Rendered useless. Two thoughts come to my mind when I hear that. One is that it's not needed anymore. Why is it not needed anymore? Because I have the law of God written in my heart. Right? The Holy Spirit is in my life. And he is speaking. He's indwelled. He is, he is living inside of me. I am now the temple. No longer is there like a little thing with like all these beaver skins, you know, holding up and the ark is inside. No. The Holy Spirit is living inside of me. And I am the temple. It is me. So I don't need this law in one sense, because I have the law inside of me. Why is it rendered useless? Because I don't need to be told that this is good and this is bad. Because God, the Spirit, tells me. It's funny, like, why are people so reactionary about some of the hot issues this, you know, nowadays? They're trying to prove, they're trying to convince They're trying to dig and find science to prove the fact that their lifestyle is okay. Why do they have to dig and try so hard? Why do they have to prove so hard? You know, somebody who's confident in truth, they are so relaxed. They're not cocky, right? And they're not defensive 
because they are secure. See, in our walk with God, we are so secure because of who God is. We don't have to defend ourselves. God is, God is there communicating. God is there communicating. But we have, the, the law has been rendered useless. And here, look at the last part of this verse. I mean, this word delivered also, remember, it has the word picture of being like a slave, okay? Like we have been delivered from what? Well, from slavery, okay? But in verse 6 it says, so that we should serve. We should serve, and I love this, in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Hey guys, are, are you tired? <laughs> are you tired? Is your spirit tired? Are you tired of serving God? Are you, are you tired of doing good things? Are you tired of having to fight the good fights? Are you tired of running the race that Paul talks about in Corinthians? Are you, are you tired? Well, where does the tiredness come from? It doesn't come from a newness of spirit. This word newness is only used two times. It's used here and the verse that Andrew mentioned last night in class, newness of life. And that means, this word newness means that there is something fresh in my life. That, mean, that means when I am not being legalistic in my, in my walk with God, and I am living and I, in, in the spirit of God, that there is a freshness in my spirit. That there is something brand new that is happening. It is, uh, another word it was used was, it is renewed. It is made alive again. And you think about Adam and Eve and how they were hiding in the present, from the presence of God, right? And now what are we doing? We are running to the presence of God. We come and we run. And, hey, Lord, I'm naked. <laughs> Adam and Eve, they could have ran. I wonder what would have happened. Because if they sinned, but instead of hiding from the presence of God, they would have confessed and then ran to God. Like, hey, God, I'm naked. How did this happen? Like, and you know what? Sometimes we are so, you know, we are trying to hide things from God. We are trying to hide things from the body. We are trying to, you know, you know what? Just run to God. Because that's what it means to live in the newness or the renewal of the spirit. Meaning that, you know, the spirit is new and it's made new again. That's what renewal means, right? So Adam and Eve, they have a spirit. It's perfect. Life is good. Then there is sin. Then what happens is that there is redemption. There is a renewal, meaning that is brought back to its original states, meaning that in our spirits, the original state is restored, meaning that we can have fellowship with God. Why? No thanks to the law, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. If Christ did not die on the cross, you know what we would be? We'd be a bunch of Gentiles trying to lift up Judaism. And we would be like some of the ones that found themselves on the day of Pentecost over in Jerusalem, you know, celebrating the holiday. You know, I think uh, there was a Jewish holiday, that the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, right? It was just a couple days ago. I mean, praise be to God. I, I love the symbolism there. But do you know what? Jesus is not on the throne yet. He's on the throne in heaven. He's on the throne in my heart. But there will be a day... It says in the book of Revelations 
where Jesus will be on a literal throne, amen, in a literal new Jerusalem, and he will be king of kings and lord of lords in a total experience. You know what? And that is a day that I'm going to celebrate so welcomely because I don't have to live by sights anymore. I mean, by faith, I can live by sight. I can see my king on the throne. I don't have to pray for God to rain justice down because he's going to be executing it from the throne of grace. See, if it wasn't for Jesus dying on the cross, our lives would be so different. But because of that, I mean, and, and it is amazing. Verses 11, 7 through 11, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Contrary, not. Uh, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I wish I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me a manner of evil desire. Meaning the law was so important to expose something that's inside of all of us. But verse 8 is saying that it took opportunity to expose something and take advantage of that evil desire. You know, this is an amazing topic and you know, we're going to close here. But just thinking about in our, our daily lives, okay? Think about it this way. We serve God. We come here on Sundays. Sometimes we drag our feet to come here on Sundays, don't we? I mean, same here, you know? It happens. But you know what? That's not the spirit that God has given us. You know, and sometimes if we are not aware, if we are ignorant, right? It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of... Of knowledge, meaning if we are ignorant of what God has given us and we are living our Christian life outside of the tools that God has given us, I mean, we're going to struggle. And what we need to do, we need to be exposed again and again and again to the truth of God so that way we can live in the truth of God. You hear this today, but then you don't ever hear it again. You're going to forget. That's the way we are. And we find ourselves getting tired and exhausted. And, but God says, you know what? I've given you a newness of spirit with a newness of life. I have made you more than a conqueror. You are victorious. You know, if we don't hear these things often, we don't live in them. You know, and then today's message, I was telling, telling Gary, and I was preparing for this message. And, you know, in my mind, there was like something weird happening, I, you know, not like, you know, too weird, but just a little weird, you know? you know? You know what I mean? Like a funk that's going on in there and just like, yeah. And I, I'm sitting there and I was studying for this message and I didn't even realize that my own message was the solution to my funk. <laughs> but you know what it is? Living in the newness of the spirit is... The solution to all of our funks. And all of your fun- funks are different, right? I don't know. Maybe you're hangry. The newness of the spirit is. But maybe there's depression. Maybe there's fear. Maybe there's uh, self-value. You're doubting your self-value. I mean, maybe you don't think you fit in the body here. Maybe you're being tempted by sin. You know, maybe this is, you know, whatever is happening in your life. The answer is the spirit, you know, that, that S there, the spirit is a small S, okay? 
Meaning that we could have other spirits in our life. We might not be functioning in the newness of spirit. We might be functioning in the spirit of fear. From 2 Timothy, right? Which God has not given us that spirit. He has given us a different spirit. Right? Yeah, amazing verse. God has given us something different. So that's a little less meaning that we could function in many different spirits. But God is giving us a different option now. He's saying because of the cross, because of the Holy Spirit, and because of what God is doing inside of you, you have the opportunity to take the newness and live in the newness of, of the Spirit and be renewed. You know what? And that means that, they, that sometimes that Spirit is not there. Why? Because I don't necessarily need that Spirit. See, sometimes we live in different spirits because there's different seasons of need in my life. If you are discouraged, you live in the newness of spirit. If you are not discouraged and there's something else going on, you have to have a different expression of the spirit of God in your life to be exercised so, so that way you can you know, be victorious. And so today in our lives, let us be renewed, right? And have a newness of life, a newness of spirits, and be encouraged in what God is doing in your life personally. You know, and here's another thing. This is amazing. I keep getting, like, wanting to close, you know. I don't usually do that, do I? Like, preachers usually have, like, three in closings. In closing, and then you start another message. Oh, sorry. In closing, and start another message. You know, I felt like I've been winding down, but like something keeps coming up. But you know, here's the amazing thing is like we are so concerned about change happening in the world. It doesn't start in the world. It starts with me in my home. If you want there to be revival in your town, it has to happen in your own heart. If you want people to love the Bible, but you don't love the Bible. I mean, what do you think? Hey, you know, you should accept Jesus. You should learn. You should read the Bible more. Do you? No, I don't read the Bible. <laughs> you know, it says 60% of pastors don't even know all the books of the Bible by heart. Because <laughs> they don't love their Bible. <laughs> you know, let it happen in your own life and let it be an outpour. And then it will be genuine and it will be lasting. If it's manufactured because you're trying to produce the, the work of the Spirit... You know, the fruit of the Spirit by the works of the flesh. If you're trying to do that, it's not going to be lasting. That's why Jesus, right? Remember that story? Like, you know, the one Pharisee says, well, I mean, is this Acts 6 or something? And the one Pharisee says, well, if it's of God, then how can we even fight it? But if it's of man, don't even worry because it will vanish because that was a Pharisee who, who saw many messiahs, right? There was another messiah um, called, I don't know, I, I, I forget the names right now. But you know, before Jesus, there were other, like, messiahs. But they were revolutionary types, you know? And they were crucified and they were squelched out. But here was one that he died and he rose and he ascended and his disciples began to preach. And they said that they were perceived that they were with Jesus. That's amazing. Yet they saw that they were Galileans. 
<laughs> you know, Kaylee was laughing at something you said a couple weeks ago, Rich. He says, these were, these were not learned men, he said in your, in your little speech. You know, and she was saying, you know, Rich called you stupid. <laughs> you know, but, it, but, <laughs> but that's, a bit, that's what happened in the Bible, right? It says that these men were Galileans, meaning that they were not educated. They were not eloquent. They were not, were, they were not these kind of men, right? But they, they perceived that they were with Jesus. You know, let it be said of us that we are men and women that when people are with us, they know that we have been with Jesus. And that is our testimony. Amen? Amen. All right, so Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message. And we pray um, that maybe as we get tired or in our soul, we get into these funks, you know, that the newness of the Spirit can come into our life through the Holy Spirit. And I want... That to be our testimony, that we are men and women, and the people can say that they, are, they have been with God, that they have been with God. And maybe some of us are far from God, and we could use a little help. That's a, that's a good place to be into, because God is in the business of redeeming. God is in the business of forgiving. God is in the business of forgetting. God is in the business of having us move forward in our, in our life. None of us are too far away from God to be redeemed. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.